Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nixentner Geology Podcast, episode 102, Nanaimo Zircons. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year, everybody. We turn the calendar to uh, 2023 late this evening, and here I am, uh, early morning on Saturday, December 31st. Thought I'd spend a few moments with you. Thank you for checking in. The house is empty. The kids are gone. It was intense. It was fun. Board games, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, neighbor kids over. And and uh, it's if you're a parent, especially of uh, children who are grown and out of the house, but still in their 20s, basically, uh, it's just really nice to have everybody back and it is also very um, shocking when the house goes back to being extremely quiet so I'm transitioning from that and starting to get back to uh, my normal way of life which is uh, doing a bunch of geology around the clock which is uh, tremendously satisfying to me at my advanced age continuing to learn new things I've commented before I really enjoy leading the life of a graduate student, essentially. If you if you remember in your field, uh, back early in your career when you were learning an incredible amount every day, you're just soaking in all sorts of new information and trying to process it, whether it's in an academic setting or not, if you're just learning how to be a plumber or whatever, uh, librarian, I don't know. But... In the world of geology, most of us that are professional geologists, I guess I'm considered a professional geologist, I don't know, yeah, I, I, I earn a salary being a geology teacher, sure, uh, we have memories of graduate school, and that is a pure existence, where you're just getting up every morning, reading papers, processing what you're learning, trying to get ready to speak in class. And for me personally, that was terrifying because as an undergraduate at the University of Wisconsin, I was I was the classic kid sitting in the back row, never speaking, uh, just observing everybody in the room, typically making fun of the people uh, sitting in the front three rows who are A-plus students and doing everything they can to <laughs> whatever. whatever. It was just, it was convenient for me to just sit back there and just make fun of everybody, mostly to myself. Uh, but in grad school, it was different, and it was a small class. It was a bunch of people pushing each other, almost like in the early days. Okay, <laughs> new thought right away. Uh, how to say it without sounding conceited. It's almost like, I don't know, have I said this out loud here? It's almost like you have your favorite musical artist and nothing matches their first few albums or whatever we call them now. Uh, you know, they're, they're just, they're, they're excited. They found their voice. They have a style. Uh, they have other people their age, late 20s, early 30s maybe. Uh, they're all competing with each other to push themselves and and so it's a whole scene. It's a whole group of artists who are like uh, doing nothing but 
singer songwriter or whatever or band you know and then you get past that stage and the music isn't as exciting anymore it's different sometimes if it's a great artist they continue to to learn new things and have different styles but they're not doing the same thing over and over again but it never quite matches those first couple of albums or movie director or you know i suppose there's all sorts of of parallels in the world of artistry now i'm not calling myself an artist but i'm simply trying to say that those first few years of major immersion into scientific research was uh, tremendously satisfying in, in many different forms and then you get married and then you get a job and then there's administrative stuff and then there's whatever you know uh and it just the whole thing becomes dilute it comes, becomes diluted. Well, I'm back. I'm back to being a graduate student at age 60. And the form that I have kind of created are these live streams in the wintertime. That's what I'm talking about today. I, I'm, I think I'm just doing one episode to try to comment on what I've learned uh, for the first half of the alphabet of this uh, live stream series on YouTube called Baja BC A to Z. And I think I'm just going to do one episode. I, I, I contemplated doing a number of these during the break, but to be honest, I just got done the first two hours of the day reading uh, some nitty-gritty detail from the, the brand new paper by Basil Tickoff and Bernie Hausen uh, talking about hit-and-run tectonics. And that fully embraces paleomagnetism and fully embraces exotic terrain, Baja BC type thoughts. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I guess this this episode, this single radio episode is, uh, you can do what you want, man, but I mean, if what I'm describing uh, in this radio episode uh, turns you on, and you're wanting to get into this world of discovery uh, in real time with live guests on YouTube, um, you, you can get caught up. There's time. There's time. You can get caught up. Uh, starting with session A back in November. And uh, when we're back at it this coming Wednesday, January, oh boy, well, whatever, the first Wednesday in January, coming up in a few days, we will resume the alphabet, I think it's session M, with Basil Tickoff, University of Wisconsin professor, Wednesday at 2 o'clock Pacific time, and then on to Bernie Hausen, the first Saturday in January, that's a week from this morning, at 9 a.m. Pacific time. So, And then we continue. And I have the entire month of January uh, booked. I have all the guests lined up. It will be a lot of paleomagnetism, and it will be a lot of crazy-ass shit. Sorry, Patrick. I mean, it's going to be a mind-blowing month, and I can't, I'm really excited. I was going to say I can't wait. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have to wait. I'm, I'm, I'm getting my mind blown every morning. Upstairs, where we don't even have any heat. Freaking three layers of parkas on. I'm can see my breath basically up in the attic and that's my little work table giving my wife some personal space as she recovers from the intensity of uh, everybody in our house 
around the clock for the last week. So, I mean, that's my first point, that it, it is exciting to be a graduate student, and it's possible to be a graduate student even when you're an old person. Okay, well, let's... I want to get to the Nanaimo because I had a number of episodes devoted to the Nanaimo group, a series of sedimentary rock layers, mostly exposed um, on the east coast of Vancouver Island, British Columbia, a few select islands here and there, the Gulf Islands, I guess they're called. A little bit of the Nanaimo group is down across the border here in northwestern Washington. But it's mostly B.C., and it's mostly Canadian geologists that I'd like to talk about. And again, I'll probably say again five more times at least this morning, again, each of those uh, discussions are available for you to watch. Uh, each episode is, you know, 90 minutes long, and the format of each of these YouTube live streams that I really like. I'm really happy with the format, and I'm going to continue with it at least this winter and maybe beyond. As I start the live stream uh, about 15 minutes before the top of the hour, I uh, check in with the viewers that we have live. There's usually about 500 or so that are that are there early uh, to visit, and uh, I say hi to folks uh, who are viewing from different countries, and I check the technology and make sure we're okay. Maybe there's a uh, a food prop or a gift or something special that morning that I share with the group. And otherwise, um, we kind of just get up and running that way. And I start early also because for many people, they get notified by YouTube when I start live streaming. And so it takes a while for people to kind of filter in. Um, so it depends on how people are set up with their notifications on YouTube. Personally, I have all that stuff turned off. I don't like all the interruptions and the buzzes and the beeps during my daily life, but many people uh, do that, and that's fine. That's great. So at the top of the hour, I start the actual program after a couple of minutes of getting my head right and muttering to myself, which people seem to enjoy. And then I do about 30 minutes on the chalkboard. And I have a number of green chalkboards set up in the classroom auditorium. I have two cameras. I have a laptop. It's, it's quite a layout now. Uh, but I know that my appeal is old school in many ways. Uh, that's what I do best, I think, because I have many decades of practice standing in front of a group, using chalkboards, drawing things out, and keeping a narrative going. And it's purposely, uh, perp uh, on, it's spontaneous on purpose, not only my part, but when I get to the live guests. So yeah, a half, after a half an hour of me chatting uh, with the, directly to the, to the viewers, and uh, again, there's maybe eight, 800, 900 people that watch live every time, and then there's about 10,000 that watch the replays. So there's a substantial audience, even for this material that's quite challenging. Um, I'm happy to say that the viewership has not dropped off precipitously. So then I bring the live guest in, and some of the guests I know from prior series or prior experiences in life 
many of them I do not know, and I've only met briefly the day before when we would, you know, get them comfortable with the technology and how's their lighting and how does their mic sound and if they want to share their screen and show a couple of maps, how do they do that? And also it's me just with, the, especially if I don't know the person, just kind of getting them comfortable, trying to reassure them that, that uh, it's spontaneous on purpose. I'm not going to, you know, some of the, some of the, um, some of the guests who are new to me are like, well, I really want to just set, lay out an outline here. I want to know what we're going to talk about. And I, depending on the person, I, I, I kind of appease them a bit, but most of the time I'm like, I, I want to, and then they'll start launching into stuff they want to talk about. And I sometimes, actually most times, I cut them off. I say, hey, let's save it for the live stream. And they're, they're kind of like confused by that. But I like, I want to hear this directly from you with everybody else. I want to learn with everybody else. And I think I'm best if I'm hearing stuff for the first time and I'm just reacting to what you're saying. So after the first three shows in November, which were just setting the table for the Baja BC series, and I, the first guest was Linda Noson, who among some geologists is a very famous name because Merle Beck, Western Washington State College at the time, and one of his graduate students, his first graduate student, Linda Noson, made these discoveries from the Mount Stewart Batholith, just north of Ellensburg, Washington, in the Icicle Creek drainage near Leavenworth, Washington, at Stevens Pass, Highway 2 crossing over to the west side of Washington, uh, 50 years ago. This is the last day I can say this. This is the last day of 2022. 50 years ago, 1972, we've been celebrating the 50th anniversary of that discover, discovery of, of paleomagnetism that is funky with the Mount Stewart Batholith. And that started this whole discussion of Baja BC. If you're a rookie, the concept is, is most of the bedrock of British Columbia in Canada and northern Washington, place we call the North Cascades, is all of that bedrock older than 50 million years old from Baja, Mexico. And we can go further than that. Is it originally crust that's out in the Pacific Ocean that was then added to Mexico and then slid or slided or sent north along strike-slip faults from Baja, Mexico, up to British Columbia. And in the first three shows, I set up this scale of 1 to 10, just a, a, an invention of my own, just to get a discussion going. Uh, there are geologists who are 1 all the way up to 10. If you're a 10, you want what I just described. You want Mount Stewart Batholith to have, be magma crystallizing into solid rock down in Mexico, central Mexico. And then you want that all the way up to Washington. And that's the caboose of this major block that's moving north. So the stuff that, w that was in, uh, you know, southern Oregon or northern California originally is now up in Alaska. So you can imagine how radical that is for many people. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm a fan of geology. In fact, I'm a geologist. I've never heard that. Well... It is a minority opinion to this day, and yet I'm embracing this minority opinion, this Baja BC concept, 
with an entire alphabet series, and it has been energizing. I'm not to the Nanaimo stuff yet, but let me finish my thought with the 1 to 10 scale. And if you're listening to this and you have been a fan of the YouTube live streams, this is all old hat to you. you you've, you've been hearing this almost every episode thus far in mid-November through mid-December. We did 13 of those episodes. I guess 13, maybe 12. If you're a 1 on the scale of 1 to 10, you, you think this is total bull. And that the rocks of British Columbia have always been in British Columbia. What are we talking about? Or no, more accurately, they're exotic terrains. They came out of the ocean, but they got added to British Columbia at the latitude of British Columbia. And then, you know, it's a scale of 1 to 10. So we can have a 3, we can have a 5.5, we can have an 8. I confess to the group that starting the series, I was an 8.5. I'm still pretty much an 8.5 on the scale. I'm not sure I'm a 10 yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm heading there, especially after uh, digging in deeply to this Basil Tickoff paper. Okay, at the 17-minute mark, he finally gets to the title of today's radio episode. After setting the table with Linda Nosen, Session A, Daryl Cowan, Session B, Basil Tickoff, Session C. Then we have Thanksgiving. Then after Thanksgiving, I start dealing with the Nanaimo. That was our first focal point of the series. I didn't really know how I was going to do it, but due to scheduling and other things, it just kind of popped up that I would have Jerome Lessman, an old friend up in uh, Vancouver Island University who knows the Nanaimo well, he introduced the Nanaimo, uh, Nanaimo group to us, a series of sedimentary rocks that, that stretch from about 90 million years ago until 63 million years ago. And that's precisely during this uh, proposed time that this Baja to BC movement is happening. That's why the Nanaimo was selected as a focal point and why the Nanaimo sedimentary rocks have been studied intensely for the last 50 years. Because these sedimentary layers, these sandstones and shales and conglomerates were deposited on top of this block that supposedly has moved 3,000 kilometers. If you're a 10 on the scale, you want this Nanaimo sediment being deposited during the entire journey from Mexico to British Columbia. Well, there's different opinions, of course, about what you can get out of the Nanaimo, and I had four shows devoted to that. The first was Jerome introducing the subject. And I can't hold it. I have to say it, that Jerome is a trailblazer in his own way. And he wanted to do his episode from an island using his cell phone at an outcrop. And he tested it all out and we were all set. And then there was a big snowstorm the day before he did it. And apparently the cell coverage was all screwed up. And so his whole episode was a bust because he had it was just frozen video and audio and it was a train wreck. So I had a special additional Jerome episode from his office a couple of days later just to kind of get what he wanted to say on, on camera. Well, things really took off after Jerome did us a service, did us a solid for getting going with the Nanaimo. The next guest was Danny Coots who for many years was a Ph.D. student studying the Nanaimo sediments at the University of Calgary. And they have a very fancy detrital zircon analysis lab. And so Danny, who now lives in Vancouver, B.C., and no longer is in academia, he might return because he was just naturally gifted on camera. 
he started talking about his Ph.D. work and all the details of this Nanaimo sand uh, studies, these, these minerals called zircon grains that are incredibly resistant, they're stubborn, they record lots of earth history in them. And the, the Nanaimo grains that Danny was talking about are detrital zircons, which means um, if you're a detrital zircon, you're a zircon mineral that formed in a magma long ago, frozen magma, essentially. So there's the zircon grain that is magmatic. In other words, it's, 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 it's forming in a blob of liquid magma that becomes solid. Then you get that frozen magma to the surface. We can all think of a mountain range that's granitic. Then we have erosion of that uplifted granite mountain range. And the zircon minerals, which again are stubborn, they don't crumble, uh, get carried by rivers to the west and get deposited in a nearby basin. So if you are a zircon that gets eroded from your source, granite, then you are a detrital zircon, meaning you're a sand grain that got moved and now you're in a sedimentary basin as opposed to your original, uh, you know, uh, birthplace, which is in a granite mountain, or in a granite area that got uplifted into a mountain. You following me? So Dan is not the first to study the detrital zircons in the Nanaimo group, far from it. But the number of samples that he collected over the course of many field seasons was staggering. Not only the uh, number of sandstone blocks that he would break off of an island off the coast of Vancouver Island or on the island of Vancouver Island, but then bringing them back to the lab in Calgary, busting up that arcosic sandstone or that, that quartz sandstone, finding some zircons that were, again, detrital. He was running thousands of these detrital zircon grains through the, uh, um, I don't even know what to describe it, but the, the, the laboratory in Calgary that can handle these uh, precise grains. And he, by the end of his episode, he was helping us see that the old presentation is probably not appropriate anymore. Okay, let me try that. So many of the detrital sand grains in the Nanaimo are pre-Cambrian in age. In other words, they're granites that either crystallized farther east. Oh, boy, this is going to be hard to do in just a couple more minutes. Hang with me. I'm going to try it. Wow. So there's this doublet. There are these diagnostic detrital zircon grains that are found not only in the Nanaimo, but apparently from Alaska down to California. Not apparently. I, I learned that since Danny's show. So there's a bunch of these detrital zircon, get it, Daddy's getting excited now. There's a bunch of these detrital zircon grains that crystallized 1.7 billion, that's with a B, 1.7 billion years ago. And there's another population of detrital zircon grains found in all these sedimentary basins to the west of the interior from Alaska to Mexico, Alaska to California, one point, oh boy. 1.38 billion. So the two mysterious 
spikes in detrital zircon grains in these sedimentary basins are 1.7 billion and 1.38 billion. In the literature, they're called the Lemhi doublet because many geologists who are also included in the, in the live stream series um, have been very heavy-handed in their message that those two Precambrian populations of detrital zircon grains came from something called the Lemhi subbasin in the Belt Supergroup, which is in today's central Idaho and crossing into Montana a little bit. And that's, area, that's an area that I know well. I did my master's thesis long ago in southern Idaho, and my field area was very close to the Lemhi Range, north of the Snake River Plain. Okay, so Danny kind of laid a, uh, kind of dropped a bomb late in his episode and helped us see that the old story is no longer applicable, perhaps. What's the old story? Well, there was debate among many groups up until Danny's work that that, uh, we'll just call it, I call it in the episode, one of the things I like to do with these live streams is come up with these food props or other kind of corny phrases that I guess if you're not a regular viewer, you're like, who is this clown? Just minimizing the importance of all this work. Well, that's not what I'm doing. I'm just trying to find ways that are going to work with a general audience and work for my brain as well. So I called those old Precambrian grains the old PCers. Here come the old PCers, either the 1.7 or the 1.38 billion year old uh, grains coming from this mystery source. And up until recently, the source was vigorously debated. Was the source in the Lemhi group, in other words, were those granites back in the Precambrian making the, the zircons in central Idaho, or were those old PCers coming from a portion of the... Um, hesitating now, uh, the old coastal deposits, the passive margins, oh shit, were they coming from the Precambrian area of the Mojave Desert, Southern California? And the Calgary group up until recently was arguing that those old PCers came from Southern Cal uh, originally, and Brian Mahoney and Paul Link, who were together on one of the live stream episodes, vigorously defend the idea that everything's coming from central Idaho. Okay, flash forward. I only have a few minutes left. Should have should have broken this into two. This is there's a lot of good stuff here. Um Danny right before the end of his show, Danny Coots, University of Calgary PhD student who published his work a couple years ago said if you look carefully at those old PCers in the Nanaimo Oh boy, how do I do this? I'm going to have the, you know what? I have to have some resolution to this episode, but I I think much of this, what I think I was going to talk about here, needs to be done more carefully with the live streams themselves. Oh God, you're going to be pissed now. You're like, I'm not going to watch these episodes. Just tell me what's going on. Well, can I do it in just a few more minutes? I'll try. Danny and the next show was Will Matthews, who was a fellow graduate student at University of Calgary. The, both of those guys, Danny Coots and Will Matthews, have recently agreed 
that the old PCers, the detrital zircons, came from Idaho. So essentially they, they surrendered the argument. They said, yes, we're convinced now. After looking very, very carefully at these old detrital zircon grains, we think those grains came from central Idaho. But we still think the Nanaimo Basin was way south and got moved on this Baja BC block. Whereas the group, uh, the group of Paul Link and Brian Mahoney, who came up in the next show after that, they came in hot and they said, no, Idaho is the source for all that stuff. So I'm getting a little frustrated because I'm realizing that it's not going to be a nice easy way to finish this episode but I got five minutes give me give me five more minutes we'll see if I can do this the reason okay here's here's what here's how I want to do it when you look carefully at the detrital zircon grains in the Nanaimo you realize it's more than just the detrital zircon grains there are these coatings around the detrital zircons in the Nanaimo Basin. And those coatings are called rims, and the rims have a younger age, so the rims around almost all of those old PCers in the Nanaimo, this is work by Danny and Will primarily, those rims are younger than 100 million years old. So in other words, our grains have already come out of their source area, they got deposited in the Nanaimo starting 84 million years ago. That's when the OPCers started arriving in the Nanaimo Basin. Between 84 and 63 million years ago, there is a steady input of these old detrital zircons, but they've got these funky rims. And the wild debate between these sessions, these live stream shows, these episodes, where are those magmatic rims or metamorphic rims, or are there both magmatic or metamorphic rims? Now that's crucial because we're no longer in the source region, the Precambrian source region, if we're making these magmatic rims. They are out of the source region. They are now someplace further west in some sort of situation where the, the old PCers are getting either uh, kind of dunked in magma as the, as, the, as the new generation of magma is starting to crystallize? So in other words, we're recycling these grains? Or are they involved in some sort of high-grade metamorphic situation? And Will, who's done this intense depth profiling of individual zircon grains within the Nanaimo, says there's both. Between 84 and 63 million years ago, there's a hell of a lot, sorry, there's a hell of a lot of old Precambrian grains, detrital, with some of them having magmatic rims, some of them having metamorphic rims, some of them having both a, mag, a, a metamorphic rim with then a magmatic coating around it like a jawbreaker. So this is all work that's been done just in the last couple of years. So of course this is not the final word. But things got heated in a way because the Calgary group said, 
we've got those rims, those met, those metamorphic rims, especially high-grade metamorphic rims, down in Southern California. And so now we're looking for, says the Calgary Group, we're looking for some bedrock that matches the age and the high temperature and high pressure conditions. That's what high grade means. High grade metamorphism means you've really jacked up the temperatures and pressures. We're looking for a smoking gun, a metamorphic bedrock unit that matches the age and metamorphic conditions to say that our uh, OPCers in the Nanaimo that have those metamorphic rims have to be associated with those Precambrian rocks. Well, Matthew says, we've got those rocks that have the appropriate age and conditions down in Southern California. Schists called the Polona, Oracopia, and Rand Schists near Los Angeles. The Idaho guys, Brian Mahoney and Paul Link, say, That's, that doesn't make any sense. Why can't you have those metamorphic rims coming from Idaho. There was some metamorphic activity in Idaho. But Paul Link on the show was kind of snippy and said, I don't think any of those are metamorphic rims. I think they're all magmatic, and they're coming from the Idaho batholith. So I think I saved it a little bit towards the end. I'm just trying to think of you listening to this with any, out any context and how you're supposed to make sense of this at all. If nothing else, dear listener, Maybe you get a sense of how deeply we got into that topic and how we had four shows devoted to this Nanaimo group. And to be honest, I didn't think I'd have more than one Nanaimo show. But that's part of what I'm trying to do with this live stream series. I'm trying to be open-ended. I'm trying to follow leads and interesting comments that these live guests are saying. And not only within one show am I trying to listen really hard at what they're saying and then ask appropriate questions to further the discussion, but I'm also trying to stay as open as possible so that if there's a whole new direction that the discussion takes, the next show or two, I can, I can kind of go in that direction. And so by the end, we had four Nanaimo shows that had wildly different interpretations coming from those same sand grains. Ah, uh, wow. Okay. I guess I did it. I guess I talked about Nanaimo group zircons, but I, I feel kind of empty here at the end because there's way more, of course, that went into those discussions. And I guess I'll just let you know that if you go to my YouTube channel, Nick Sentner YouTube channel. Oh, am I pushing you there so I can make more money? Now, you know that. I don't make any money off of this, okay? I have a day job. I'm happy with the day job. I'm happy that my employers allow me to do these kinds of things. Nobody's doing anything like this. I feel very proud, very uh, um, at the top of my game in a way. I'll never say this out loud in front of the cameras, but nobody's doing what I'm doing. Nobody can do what I'm doing. Not even sure I should have said that, but I mean, just that alone feels great that these viewers of all ages, all backgrounds, all countries are reading these scientific papers, are in on these discussions uh, that I would have anyway. And to be totally honest, I don't think half these folks would spend more than a couple paragraphs with me anyway by email.
if they didn't know who I was, if I just said, I'm a, I'm, I'm a teacher and I want to learn some new stuff, can you send me your paper and a couple of paragraphs and email? They would do that. That's, that's standard in the world of, of researchers. But I've had enough guests on who have certain notoriety. I'm going long now, but I'm, I'm on a, a, one little last jag. I'm getting everybody. These folks that I've been reading about for decades, I'm visiting with them live. They're responding to my emails. They're saying, yeah, I heard about this. I want to be part of this. This is I'm really impressed with this. And some are watching every episode. Many of the, the big-name geologists, they're not in the live chat. They're not saying hi to Patrick, but they're watching every show. And when I get done with a live event, uh, there's a flurry of emails that come in. They're watching live. And they're into it. And it feels great to be part of this discussion. Wow. I hope, I hope that you have meaning and purpose in your work. And if you don't, I hope you can find something that scratches that itch for you, whether it's work-related or not. For me personally, I need purpose. And even though everybody's home for the holidays, people aren't getting up till 8.30. I'm up at 5.30 and I'm working on this stuff every morning, even with a house full of kids. Just because it, 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 it satisfies many things for me personally. And maybe you can find or maybe you have something like that in your life. I hope so. I don't know what I would do without these kinds of projects. Wow, got really personal at the end there. Didn't expect that. <laughs> uh, plus, we're at the 38-minute mark. Well, dear listener, that was episode 102 called Nanaimo Zircons, plus some bonus coverage. Apparently, I needed to say that to somebody. Thank you for listening. Thank you. I'm not sure when the next one of these is going to be. That's probably it. I'm going to be back to getting ramped up for the next series. So perhaps it's going to be late February by the time I get back to you. And um, that's likely. But who knows? Maybe I'll have a moment where I feel like I want to share something uh, particularly exciting in the next month and a half. Thank you, dear listener, for this extra long episode. I appreciate your patience. And you tuning in. I love you. Goodbye from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. <laughs>